Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Would you stand with me, find Acts 21, Acts chapter number 21 this morning. We're going to jump further in our series in the book of Acts and thankful for this. As you get there, uh, if you were here last Sunday night, you uh, really were blessed by the testimony of Brother Tom Patterson and just the encouragement of what God has done miraculously in the Grenada Bible Project. I talked to him a little bit later on Sunday evening and I asked him so about when in October our trip's going to start being going on uh, going down to Grenada. He said somewhere in the middle of October so I want to put that on your heart. You be praying about that if the Lord would have you to go down there and I want to also put it on your heart Perhaps uh, you cannot go and you're really burdened about this. Could I encourage you to sponsor somebody else? I believe that's already happened within the church family. But you can, uh, you can partner with somebody and uh, send them and uh, let them be your feet uh, down in Grenada. And so I want to encourage about that. We may not all go on the same, the same trip, but let's just pray about that. We need the Lord's help and uh, you, you probably... Uh, you don't probably, you need to be working on your passport if you do not already have that. You need to be thinking through all of those things. So if you have any questions about that, uh, certainly do ask. And uh, I just went to my office this morning to grab my Bible, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to take uh, the Grenada Bible Project Bible, and that'll be my, uh, what I preach from this morning. And I am just more than thrilled to have this front copy. And this front copy will go out in the lobby at some point. I'd like to have a, a nice showcase out there with a, uh, a summary statement so that as we pass by, we can remember what the Lord has done through this project, uh, through our church and through many churches, but also that uh, children and, and so on, those coming up, those that are yet to receive Christ and will walk through our lobby, will see this project and know that God is real and he lives and he does care about his word. You think about a half million dollars being raised within a year's time. That's, that's all glory to God. And the fact that these are on their way down there and uh, they're on the ship and I just, I just love the fact that you open up that front cover, the Grenada Bible Project uh, was paid for by carrying Christian friends and in independent Baptist churches across the United States and Canada. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. Isaiah 42 and verse number 12. For free distribution only, not to be sold. Praise the Lord. And then all across that island and uh, reseed that island for the glory of God. They don't have a Christian bookstore there. They, don't, they can't drive uh, to Walmart and get a Bible, but uh, by God's grace, they'll have Bibles down there. So praise the Lord. Acts 21, let's read together. Verse number one, and it came to pass that after we had gotten from them, and that's speaking up there at Miletus, and had launched, we came with a straight course by boat unto Coas, and the day following unto Rhodes, that's another island, and from thence to Patera, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now, we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria. 
and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Is it any wonder that uh, Paul and his compadres found disciples there, that they looked up the, the Christians there? So they found them, they stayed there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they brought, uh, brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when they had taken, uh, we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And we, uh, when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came uh, to um, Pelotimus uh, and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we, we that were with Paul's company, of Paul's company, departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet by name of Agabus, and when he had, was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we were heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what mean, uh, mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, say this out loud with me, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them uh, Manaus, Manson of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And I love that last verse, how these disciples just travel with. The love and the communion and the fellowship of the believers together. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you for this opportunity. It's been good to praise your name in song and through testimony and through exhortation. Lord, we just give you praise for even meeting with us in these, these moments that have proceeded, but we need you to guide us in your word this morning to help strengthen us. Would you build up every believer here and would you draw every lost heart to yourself in salvation? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Self-preservation is a real uh, natural human response. Anytime that we face something that might cause us to be alarmed, to fear, uh, might be some danger, uh, might be the prospect of something out in the future we're not, we're not aware of, we're not, we're not certain about the outcome, and we tend to uh, become very concerned about self-preservation. How can I hold on to my life? Jesus spoke about this with uh, speaking to his disciples, those that had gathered around, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. And, but we are very 
preoccupied as humans with, our, uh, with preserving our own life. We want to preserve on this life and hold on to it as long as possible. And we, we get very uh, focused on that. And even as believers, we can be very focused on that. That is not to say that we should be flippant about life and be careless with the life that God has given us, be flippant or uh, reckless with the, the body, the temple, the Holy Spirit that he has given us, each one of us. As we exist here today in our bodies, as we, we are alive here, we have been given this body. It is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We are to glorify God with it and in our bodies. We're not to indulge in things that destroy it. And so uh, we don't want to go to the side of being flippant with what he has given us. But at the same time, this matter of self-preservation, holding on, when God says go forward, we, we stand back and say, I don't know about that. If I do that, that might not be safe. And maybe even as we think about taking a trip across the ocean to Grenada, you might think, well, if I do that, what would happen? What perchance would happen? Well, I'll just tell you, friends, if, you, if God is putting it on your heart to do that, you do that. You're, you can, <laughs> there's accidents and there's all sorts of uh, danger that happens right here in America. Just think about what happened north of us, those four individuals that lost their life just this, um, in the past couple days, someone entering into their home and shooting them. How tragic that, and that is. And you think about the dangers of life. Listen, God has the ability to lead and, uh, lead and guide you, and when your time is up, your time will be up. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I might get ahead of myself a little bit, but just, just understand this. We have this natural inclination to, to preserve our lives. And when we look at someone who gives their life fully and completely for a cause that they believe in, without any thought of personal cost, it causes us to step back and marvel, how could they do that? Now, there are people that, that don't even know God that give themselves to a, a, to a cause without any thought of personal cost. And they don't have a reward for that in heaven. But listen, when we come up against a believer, when I think of a, a Jim Elliott or a David Brainerd or a, a, a more recent, when I think of Charles Wesco who, who gave his life in, in Cameroon, and when I think about these people that have given their life for a cause... It does cause us to step back and marvel. And here before us today is this man, the Apostle Paul, who was a, a man just like you and I, who, was, who had temptations, who had a warring in the flesh, just like we do. Yet he gave his life completely to the cause of Jesus Christ and to the purposes that God had for him. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse number 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He is not saying that we should hate our, our, our siblings, that we should hate our family and our, our friends. He's not saying that we should hate, but what he is saying is there, there ought to be such a drastic difference between our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to our commitment to his purposes in our life that in comparison to our commitment to others that it almost seems as if we hate. He's saying he's calling us to a radical uh, level of commitment to himself. And he goes on in verse number 38, Matthew 10. And he that taketh not up his cross, that is a, an object of sacrifice, an object of surrender, an object of giving all up, he takes not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And so Jesus is literally saying to his disciples, if you're not willing to abandon everything for me, if you're not willing to abandon even your own life for me, then you're not worthy of me. He's not telling his, his disciples that uh, 
that they lose their salvation. The Bible is clear about the fact that uh, Jesus saves us and gives us eternal life and they shall never perish. But he's saying, hey, uh, you're not walking in balance with me is the idea. Uh, he tells us in Ephesians 4 that we are to walk worthy of our vocation, walk worthy of the vocation that Christ has called you to, walk worthy of Christ. Philippians 1.27 tells us that we are to, we are to um, be, uh, live a life that, that, is, uh, that is as it becomes the gospel, is in balance with the gospel. It makes sense with the gospel. It balances out. If God says be truthful, then our life is truthful. It balances out. If God says follow after me, we follow after him. It balances out. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, if you're not going to take up your cross and follow after me, you're not worthy of me. Paul had heard that voice uh, in Acts chapter number 9, and he was following day by day, and even here at the end of his third missionary trip, his third missionary trip that brought him throughout Asia and Achaia, down into Corinth, and all across into some amazing areas. And he had, he had, he's on his, the tail end of this trip, as you follow the yellow line there on the map. He's on the tail end from Miletus on down, going to Jerusalem. He is, he's coming to the end of this, and he knows that his days on earth is short. And yet he is still not preserving self. He's still going forward even in the face of danger and how we need to learn from him. Along the way, he's going to have many good-hearted disciples that say, don't go. And even through the Spirit, these many good-hearted disciples said to him, listen, we know that the Spirit is impressing on our hearts. You're going to face problems. And he says, I must go. Paul moved forward fervently. As we learned a couple weeks ago, as he challenged the Ephesian elders, the pastors there, he says, listen, I'm going forward. This is my path. I'm going forward in faith according to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I'm going forward uh, without fear, and I'm going forward with freedom. I'm going forward to the finish. I'm going to finish my course. So along the way, he's going to meet some disciples, and I want us to notice those before we get to the real, uh, the real nugget of the message. In, that, in the last point, I want us to notice his fellowship with the believers there in uh, entire. I want us to notice verse number one through six. Paul uh, had not previously known these disciples. He had, uh, uh, he had not been a part of the planting of this church. He may have uh, caught wind of them. He may have met some of them, but he had not caught, uh, he was not uh, intricately involved in this church plant. In fact, it seems that this church plant was the result of the very persecution, get this, very persecution that Paul brought to the church in Acts 8. It seems that this church, this church that he's going to encourage now on the end of his third missionary journey was a result of the believers who went everywhere preaching the gospel. And now he has a, a, an opportunity to come full circle to these who, uh, who were a result of his negative ministry, if you will, uh, his, uh, his going after the, the believers and, and persecuting them. Now he comes in and he finds them. Now I want us to really get a hold of this this morning and notice that he's going to fellowship with them. And all we mean by fellowship is to share in. When we say we have a fellowship, that does not just mean food. By the way, next Sunday morning after the morning service, we're going to have a, a potluck. Our interns are going to be leaving us in a, in a few weeks, and, and they're kind of scattered, and they're, they're leaving. We're going to have a, a, a potluck together, and what does that mean? Oh, we, we, should, uh, we should call it maybe fellowship, but that means you, you bring it all, right? We'll bring the meat. You bring in a, a side dish, look inside your bulletin. We can all re, uh, read in there and, and find the instructions, but we're going to gather together. But fellowship does not just mean food. Fellowship is you sitting across the table next Sunday morning and sharing what God is doing in your heart. Fellowship is bowing your head and saying, let's pray about this. Fellowship is, hey, I got saved 50 years ago today. 
and, and, and talking about the change that God has brought in your life. And so they had fellowship. They partnered together. They did things together during those seven days there. And I want us to notice that their fellowship was centered around Christ. And that's very important because it says here that he, in verse number four, and, and, and finding disciples, and finding disciples, what does disciple mean? It means a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So the common denominator between Paul and these people he had never met before was the fact that they were following Christ and Paul was following Christ. Listen, that is a blessed common denominator. That is a blessed connecting point. That is why you can walk into a church. That's why you can walk into a church out in Oklahoma and find instant connection with people that you haven't ever sung with, you haven't ever worshipped with, you haven't ever fellowshiped with, yet there's an instant connection and your heart is blessed. That is why I challenge you constantly, constantly not to take vacation from church on your vacations because you're missing a blessing to connect with believers where the common denominator is Jesus Christ. It is something else. And you say, well, I'll just catch a live stream somewhere. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll find something on TV. No, go to a church. Gather there. By the way, that's a real good example to your children that even on vacation you're willing to be in church. I'm so thankful my parents set that, that example for us when we go on summer vacations three times a week and even vacation Bible schools when we were in town for their vacation Bible schools. And, oh, we're here. We're going to involve ourselves in the life of this church while we're here. And so, uh, such a blessing to do that. So he finds these. Now, notice he finds them. He does not just roll into the harbor, find a hotel room. Well, we got to sit out for the next seven days. No, he goes looking for them. He did not have Google. He couldn't search for the different churches and their gatherings. He, the Bible says here, actively, while he tarried, he went and found these individuals. He went and searched them out and so that they could have fellowship together. Now, these disciples, as they met Paul and as they had a, a common interest in the Lord Jesus Christ and following after him, their heart was burdened because Paul was saying, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they all knew in, in, their, in their hearts by the Spirit of God, you're going you're gonna to have problems up there. There's going to be affliction up there. And, and again, what the Holy Spirit had already told Paul in Acts chapter number 20 was being confirmed to these believers over and over and over again. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit does that. Have you ever found that to be the case? Where you hear something in, in church or you uh, read something in your Bible and then you come to church and the Holy Spirit confirms it through a Sunday school lesson or someone uh, speaking to you and the Holy Spirit has this ability to, uh, to confirm things. So the Holy Spirit was doing that. Holy Spirit is confirming this message to him. Now, they said that you shouldn't go up there. Now, many have asked, was Paul wrong? It's an age-old question. And was Paul wrong? Now, I, I, I wasn't there. And I'm going to be very careful about uh, assigning whether Paul was wrong and whether these, um, these, um, these folks were right or vice, um, vice versa. But I do have the Bible. And the Bible says, Acts 20 and verse number 22, And now, behold, I go, Paul speaking, bound in the Spirit, to Jerusalem, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. And then he goes on to say, save that the Holy Spirit witnesseth that in every city, bonds and afflictions await me. So he said, listen, I'm, the Holy Spirit has told me as I travel along, as I even go to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions await me. Acts 20 and verse number 14, and when uh, he would not be persuaded, we see saying the will of the Lord be done. And we, we find that there, there seems to be a, a moving of the Apostle Paul towards Jerusalem, even though there were believers that were saying, listen, you're going to go up there, you're gonna get, uh, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be uh, uh, affliction against you there. 
uh, we see that the Lord is continuing to guide Paul along. Acts 19 and verse number 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in his spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. It seems like God was bringing him to Jerusalem to bring him up to Rome and to witness in the house of Caesar. And then one, one more, Acts 20 and verse 11. Uh, when he was on his way to Rome, and the, 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 they were in Eurachlodon, right? Do you remember that, that northeastern storm on the, the, uh, the Sea of Mediterranean? Uh, he, uh, God comes to him and says, And the night following, the Lord stood by me and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. And so we see that the Lord is carrying him along. Now, there's going to be times where there are different perspectives, and we'll get to that in a moment. But here, I don't believe that Paul was in the wrong, but I do believe that there was a wrestling through what is the, what is the mind of the Spirit. And if you have uh, sought to discern the will of the Lord, there's many times where there's going to be a wrestling of the Spirit. And, uh, and so, as, as Paul's going forward, he found fellowship with these believers, and uh, the common denominator was Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you this, this, this thought and this question. Why should we not seek out in the same way believers for to fellowship with and to encourage and to be encouraged as we travel, as we go about our daily lives? Why should we not in the same way find other believers to fellowship with? You know what? We've all found ourselves here this morning. There's a purpose for you being here and it's not just to sit, it is to fellowship with one another, to encourage, to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you as these believers did, and, and to, to hear and to pray and to seek the Lord together. There's such an, an important uh, a need in our hearts to fellowship together. Even as you go to work tomorrow, do you know there's believers there that need your encouragement? Could you not fellowship with them? Could you not build them up in the Lord? Hey, this is what I heard on Sunday. They really encouraged me. No, uh, you know, sometimes people get, well, we just have to nitpick and we, we are differences. We see differences. Why don't you just seek to encourage them in the Lord? Encourage to build them up, edify them with what God is doing in, in your life. And so Paul found these uh, disciples and they fellowshiped around the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, uh, fellowshipping around the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and even as I consider it, it's one of the great blessings and the proof of the reality of Jesus Christ. When we go, can go into another place, meet people that we do not know, and find that there is a common bind there. There's a common uh, witness there. There's a witness of the Spirit. What a great thing that that is. So Paul found these, and they fellowshiped around the Lord Jesus Christ, but they also fellowshiped in prayer, verses 5 through 6. They, they couldn't dissuade Paul from going to Jerusalem, and so they went on their way down to the shore, and uh, the seven days are over. Uh, they've waited, uh, and, and so now they're going down uh, to, uh, to take care of this. And so uh, they, they're, they're there by the shore, and I want us to realize that though Paul did not know these believers as well as he knew the believers there at Miletus, there's still a very sweet picture here on the, uh, on the shore. As they kneeled down and they prayed, and again, Paul reverenced God, not just in his prayer, but also in his posture. And you can see this group of believers that, that have just recently met. They, they're there, and they, they gather together in prayer, kneeling down, praying for each other, praying for the Apostle Paul as he went on his way. And there's something encouraging and comforting about the voice of another believer praying. 
I uh, got to pray this week with uh, someone that does not yet know Christ, and they later let me know uh, how helpful that was and, and just mentioned it must be encouraging as you pray with your flock. Um, it must be encouraging for them to hear the prayer. And I thought that that was interesting from an outside perspective. Friends, your prayer for each other really makes a difference. It gives grace, it gives strength to go on our way, even as Paul is going to go. Paul was a human. He, he f- was facing the suffering, but yet these people praying together as a group, it really mattered. Friends, how I encourage you to continue to allow the Lord to work in your heart specifically about this matter of prayer. As we pray together Sunday nights at 5.30, men, as we come together 8 o'clock on Saturday nights, and many other times as we pray together, as those that meet on the Connect and Prayer Call at 11.45 most weekdays, as, as we pray together as a church family, there's something about that. And don't, don't, don't put that aside. Don't, the Holy Spirit didn't accidentally put this in his word. The Holy Spirit put it there because there was, there was something about this church that, that as they were coming to a parting, just, just a few days together, as they're coming to a parting, what did they do? They kneeled and prayed. They reverenced God and they prayed. They supplicated, Lord, help. Lord, help um, Paul as he goes there. and Be with them and, and, and make them useful in the ministry of the gospel and, and so on. Prayer marked the early church. Prayer marked the early church and all that it would mark Grace Baptist Church. And who is Grace Baptist Church? Anyone a part of Grace Baptist Church? You want to just raise your hand? If you're here this morning, you're a part of Grace Baptist Church. Prayer ought to mark us. It ought to just be a part of what we do. It ought not be awkward for uh, you to be out in the lobby and say, hey, let's pray about that. It ought not be awkward before you end a phone call. Let's pray about that. There have been times I can't call somebody and they say, will you pray for me? It ought not be awkward to send a prayer text. You say, what is that? Well, if I can pray with my voice, I guess I can pray with some words and so send a prayer text. Well, what an encouragement it is. Here's the prayer I'm praying for you, right? We can do all that. And so they prayed. Let's practice fellowshipping in prayer as they did before they left. It doesn't need to be awkward. Listen, when you have somebody over to your home, we are to all be hospitable, right? All right. I think everyone's getting on board with that. All right. So we're all to, we're all to be hospitable. As such, when you come to your home, listen, what is the atmosphere of your home in that? Uh, we're not perfect, and, and we're not into entertaining, right? So it's not about showcasing our grand and glorious home, right? I'm speaking of all of us. We shouldn't, that shouldn't be. If you have hot dogs and peanut butter sandwiches, um, it, it's fine, right? It's not, about, it's not about the food. It's really about the fellowship. But in, in those moments, even as, as you depart for the night, wouldn't it be okay just to say, hey, let's all just gather around and pray? Do you know how sweet that is? Let's just gather around and pray and pray for one another's burdens, bear them in that moment, and thank the Lord. Now, we don't have to be rigid about this, and, I, and if you've been to my home, it probably not every single time we've done that, but this is something the Lord is impressing upon my, on my heart more and more. Let's just pray. Let's just pray uh, and, and talk to the Lord. And I've been blessed by even asking, you know, we've had missionaries through our house and just asking, hey, before you leave, would you pray for our family? Would you just voice a word of prayer? Boy, some of the sweetest moments just in those final moments of worship together. And I encourage you in that way. 
Make those times in your home. Well, we're just getting together for, you know, some fun to swim and, and uh, do some things. Make those moments good moments of focusing on the Lord. We can pull the Lord into absolutely everything. We don't have a, a, a non-Lord life and a Lord life. We, our life is all about the Lord. So let's, let's seek him in prayer and, and do as they did, fellowship in this way. So as they travel on, they're going to go to Caesarea, and as they travel on to Caesarea, they are going to, uh, to meet up with some others. So give me this map again, and let's, uh, let's find them. So they're, they're, up there in, uh, they're up there in Tyre, and they're going to travel down. So they've made the long path, uh, roads past Cyprus. They're at Tyre, and now they're going to bump down to Caesarea. Caesarea is a very interesting place, and they're going to find there Philip the Evangelist. And I want you to notice the faithfulness of Philip the Evangelist, the faithfulness. So uh, there's great fellowship up in, uh, up in Tyre, but now just really the, the, what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is, is uh, giving us as this narrative progresses is the, the example of a very faithful brother that Paul was able to minister to in those couple days that they had uh, had together. And so they find themselves there. And I want us to notice, first of all, about Philip this, that he was faithful to the gospel, faithful to the gospel. Would you look at verse number eight with me and notice how they came to Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip. Now read those words, those three words together. Philip the evangelist. One more time. Philip the evangelist. Now it's very interesting that this is the only time in the book of Acts that Philip is described as the evangelist. We've seen Philip before in Acts chapter number 8. We've seen him. He was in Samaria. Uh, well, we should actually back up. Because first of all, we find him in the book of Acts chapter 6. And if you notice that next statement about him, which was one of the seven. Which was one of the seven. You remember back the, the, uh, the early church leaders were really struggling to focus on the word, to prepare the word, do the ministry of the word, and keep up with mowing the lawn, and keep up with uh, their, their Facebook post, and keep up with their hospital visits, and, and uh, ministering to the, the widows that had needs, and, and so on. Come on. It's just different culture, different time. Um, but there were real there are real pressures in this day in the ministry, practical pressures in the ministry, as well as in that day. And so culture, though it changes and it morphs and so on, but there are still pressures that, that were hindering them from getting to the ministry of the word. And so what does the early apostles say? Look ye out among you, choose you seven men, full of faith. Full of faith. Full of the Holy Ghost. One of those, can you remember? One of those very notable ones that were, were chosen, do you remember his name, beside Philip? Stephen gave his life. Stephen was full of faith. He wasn't, he wasn't a pastor there in Acts, but he was a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most phenomenal messages in the book of Acts. And he gave up his life for the Lord. So one of the seven, he was, he was one of the first deacons. He was just a servant. Here's a man that was all in for, for Christ. He was a servant. So the Holy Spirit gives us this in Acts 21, verse number 8, that he was Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, to just describe, here's a man that had been all in, was very, very faithful to the Lord, and he was faithful specifically here to the gospel. What is an evangelist? One who declares the gospel. One who's specifically gifted in that way, according to Acts chapter number, or Philip, uh, 
Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11, the church is gifted with evangelists. You might think of this as our modern-day missionary church planner, that person that is traveling about uh, to plant churches to preach the gospel or, as one man said, to gospelize a community. Doesn't that just put it in picture? To gospelize. I'm coming into this community. I want to see uh, some people come to Christ, a church be planted. And so here's what Philip did. He went to Samaria. In Acts chapter number 8, he preached. God just marvelously worked many people to came to Christ. And then God moved him by the Spirit down to the road to Gaza to meet up with the Ethiopian eunuch to share on Christ with one man, right? Just one man. And And then we pick up his story 20 years later, and the Holy Spirit still describes Philip as an evangelist. Now, that's pretty awesome. Man, that's really great, because here's a man that has been faithful to the Lord, faithful to the gospel. What are you known for? What are you known for? Are you known for the work that you do? Are you known for your personality? Are you known for your humor? Wouldn't it be great to be known as... Josiah the evangelist, or Tom the evangelist, you know, known for what I do for God. Isn't that great? So here's a very faithful man. The Lord had had blessed him. Now, he's living in Caesarea, and it's a very Roman uh, province. It is a sensual province. Here, Agrippa, uh, on the seashore there, stood up and gave his great oratory, and uh, God killed him with worms because he, he was arrogant against God, and, and God, God brought about his death in this place. And so it was a very Roman city that he was in. And I want us just to underscore the fact that it was a city that was not just full of churches and just, you know, it wasn't a city that was all, you know, uh, governed around God. It was a Roman city full of sensuality and sin. And understand that here's Philip there. He is there as Philip the evangelist, uh, as we would understand, still communicating the gospel, winning people to the Lord, and 20 years later, he is there doing this thing. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's for you and for me. And may we be known as an evangelist. May we be known as a person who gospelizes. May we be known as a person that gospelizes a workplace or gospelizes a neighborhood, bringing the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, into that place. And so that's Philip, but notice he was also faithful in his leadership, verse number 9. And I want us to look at this and not miss it. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. All right, remember, we're in Caesarea, a place of sin. Uh, Not a place that's optimal. Everyone's just cheering on those that follow the Lord. Uh, Caesarea was named for, for an emperor. And emperor worship was a big deal. Worshiping government. Worshiping government was a big deal. Does that sound familiar? right? Uh, By the way, what goes around comes around. There's nothing new under the sun, and you just be aware that there's going to come a day where you need to, you need to realize, I must worship the Lord Jesus Christ and not government, all right? We don't, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't disobey. Uh, We, we do our best to honor the, uh, honor the laws, but they are not God, and we must have God in his rightful place and government in his rightful place, and government should be in its rightful place under God, and uh, when they're not, in the rightful place under God, the people mourn. And so here's, here is a city that is devoted to the worship. It is, is devoted to, uh, uh, to government and to Caesar. And here it is that God, the Holy Spirit, says to us, the same man had four daughters, virgins which did prophesy. I want us to notice two things about that. They're virgins. They were unmarried young women. They were pure in their conduct sexually. And I want us to understand this. In this day, in a day when that was not the norm, 
he had raised four daughters who were pure towards God. And that is very important for us to not just pass over. That means Philip was involved in their life. And dads, by the way, it is necessary in this day for you to be involved in your daughter's life, even determining what they wear. As I watch what's going on in society, it is like we have a great unclothing in society in this day. It is not wrong for you to say, daughter, that is not modest. That, That draws attention to your body that God wants you to cover up and to keep for your special someone someday, and so you cover up, we're not going to go out this way. But I don't want to, and well, I'll lose them. Listen, you honor God first. You make sure that your daughter can always know that my my dad graciously honored God with how he directed me. Philip was a man in the midst of a city that was sinful, who raised four daughters that maintained their purity. What does the Bible say to us is God's will for our lives? By the way, purity is not just a lady's issue. It's a man's issue too. It's a big issue. It's a big issue in our day. We live in a pornographic society and it surrounds us. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 3, for this is the will of God. Not the will of a preacher. This is the will of God. Even your sanctification, even your being set apart, that you should abstain from fornication. We are to keep sexuality inside of marriage and nowhere else. That is what God says, and Philip raised daughters that upheld that. You say, well, I've already blown that in my life. Thank God for the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But from this day forward, live pure. From this day forward, make an adjustment in your life and live pure and godly, for this is the will of God. So they were living pure towards God in their walk, and and that was a big thing in that day. But understand also they did prophesy. Now, we could, we're not going to get sidetracked. The Bible, uh, I, I believe, is very clear about, uh, about uh, that, as we touched on it last week, that uh, pastors are to, uh, are to be men. God calls men to be pastors. It does not devalue the place of women. We don't devalue and joke and um, demean women around here, right? Amen? All you ladies say amen. You don't hear me saying jokes, uh, nitpicking ladies and, and different things from the pulpit. That's, that's not right. Why? Because God elevates the, the, the wonderful creation of womanhood. And we want to always elevate it here, okay? But at the same time, there is roles, okay? But the Bible does say here that these, these did prophesy. What does it mean? They, they had the ability, they were women who had God's word in their heart, were able to speak it forth in conversation. There were women who were not afraid to say, hey, this is what God's word says, and this is what we're going to do. They were women that were full of truth. We even find over in um, um, Corinthians 11, verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for um, that is even all one as if she were shaven. So um, Paul is dealing with the the matter over there that there were some women that that weren't doing it properly in the church, and so he's dealing specifically in that culture. There's a lot involved in that, but he's dealing with those that pray and prophesy. I really just want us to, to, to note that he mentions that there were women that were praying and prophesying. And I don't want this to be like, they they were not fortune tellers. It's not the idea. The idea is they were able to take God's truth and they were able to minister it. And I know some ladies in this church that if you gave them a pulpit, they could preach. But you know what? When you're in that conversation out in the hallway and you declare God's truth and you look to another lady or some children and you say, this is what God's word says, we need to stick by it. Friends, praise the Lord for some ladies that are able to declare the truth, have the truth so in them 
But listen, if our walks are not pure, if these ladies' walks had not been pure, there would not have been any prophesying. There would not have been any foretelling of the truth. And so here these ladies are, uh, raised by Philip, and God, the Holy Spirit, really wants us to notice that. And we could say so much more. Just remember back to Lot in Sodom. He left Sodom without most of his kids. And his daughters, raised in a very pagan environment, succumbed to many sins that they learned. They weren't raised in a way that said, there is, a, there is wrong over there and we'll not involve ourselves in it. And this is right, this is the way that we're going to walk in it. Lot was very willing to allow his righteous soul to be vexed in Sodom, and he lost his family. And here's Philip, the evangelist, in Caesarea, raising four daughters who had pure hearts and also had the word of God in their hearts and were able to share that with others. That's pretty amazing. Uh, we find in Abraham's life, God said, I'm going to bless him, I'm going to make him a great nation. Why? Because he will command his family after me. Dads, we have a duty of responsibility before God myself included, we have a responsibility. You fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So what do our children see in us? Philip's daughters saw that here's a man that's walking in a faithful way. They could follow in his faithful footsteps. He was a declarer of the gospel, so these ladies were a declarer of God's truth, and they, they had it in their hearts. Do our children see us loving our wives as Christ loved the church? Well, how are they going to know how to love their future spouse? How are they going to learn how to treat, treat women if they don't see it in dad? Do your children see you leading with truth? I'm not just saying walking in the truth, but speaking the truth. You know, one lie, one lie will damage your child's trust. It'll also set your child on a pathway of lying. Well, dad did it. One lie is too much. I, I hear Christians get very flippant about lying. Listen, there's joking, things that we can say joke. Joke is not some sort of like, uh, you know, just some sort of religious token that we can slap on something that we said that was not true and get away with it. Oh, it, God looks down. Oh, he said it was a joke, so it's, it's fine now. No, there is some joking that crosses the line and is lying. We need to be very careful. And I call everyone, I, really, I could use everyone's eyes up here. Because I, there's a burden on my heart that, that we are becoming flippant with truth. And sometimes I hear it in, in, in conversations and I say, oh, I wish that would, would not have been said because that gives a flippancy to the truth. And church, I'm calling you to be very careful in this matter of truth. And dads, I'm calling you to be very careful in this matter of speaking the truth to your family. We can, get, we can, we can um, shield the truth and you know, twist it or you know, just kind of you know, try to twist it in our favor so it makes us look better or whatever. Listen, children see all that. And so we need to be, we need to be faithful in, in speaking the truth, speaking the truth and not lying to one another. Do your children see you walking in purity? Do they see your eyes not uh, wandering? Do they see your devotion to your spouse? Do they see purity in the way that you, uh, that you approach entertainment? Do they see purity? Purity. Listen, Philip's daughters did not get to where they were because Philip was just kind of cavalier about this. This is an amazing statement the Holy Spirit put in there. He had four daughters 
who are virgins, who did prophesy. I mean, that's pretty amazing stuff right there. And it speaks much about the walk and the life and the faithfulness of Philip the evangelist. So I want us to realize Paul is on this journey. He's going to Jerusalem, but along the way, God's leading him through these different believers. And I want us to notice, lastly, the fervency of the apostle Paul. Notice in verse number 10, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from uh, Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. He was not slowing down. He was going forward. But understand, as he did, here comes another prophet, another declarer of the truth, and he comes to Paul, Agabus, and says, listen, the Holy Spirit has uh, confirmed in my heart that you're going to, be, uh, you're going to have trouble up there uh, in the hands of the Jews. You're going to have trouble. Now, what Agabus did not say is the Holy Spirit told me to tell you not to go. He just alerted him to the fact that this is what's going to happen. The the after effect of that was the believers that were gathered around said, don't go, don't go, we love you. And so you have the prophecy of Agabus, uh, uh, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. And I want us to realize this, that Agabus was simply, uh, he was simply uh, challenging Paul and just alerting him to what the Holy Spirit had said and was confirming in his heart would happen and what the Holy Spirit still confirms in our day, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so let's not look at this as something that, that we're detached from. The Holy Spirit is still witnessing to us, and your fervency is still being challenged today. Uh, hey, listen, there's, there's problems coming. America is getting darker. Uh, how shall I live? Shall I shield the truth? Shall I step back? Shall I be mute? In the, in the face of error, what shall I do? And the Holy Spirit is still challenging us today. Yea, and all those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So his fervency was challenged, and particularly by the believers, it seems even including Luke in verse number 12, both we and they that were in that place besought, we begged, we urged Paul not to go up. And you know what's interesting here? You just get another marker of the love of believers towards one another. You, you, you see the love that is flowing between these believers. And Jesus told us that the love, the love that we had for one another would be a marker of our discipleship towards him. So there's a lot of lessons that we could learn, uh, learn here. One is that we all need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in the sense of if God is moving somebody even in the face of danger, we should not pull them back. There is also this lesson of there's, there's, there's a natural love that we have for our fellow believers, and we should have. Uh, but we don't want that in any way to jeopardize what God is doing in their life. And so, a lot, again, a lot more could be said about that. There's a lot of de debate that surrounds, uh, surrounds whether Paul was right in going. But it sure seems that even with the confirmation from Agabus, the spirit did not tell Agabus, tell him not to go, uh, told him, hey, this is what's going to happen. And we have these believers' reaction to that, which is a very understandable uh, reaction. So no doubt Paul felt the pull in the spirit. Should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? Notice in verse number 13, then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? Wow. Talk about a pull in the spirit. Man. Just the, the angst that, that's going on. What mean ye to do this? How could you do this? What does he say there? For I am, all right, look at verse number 13 with me. Don't fall asleep on me. For I am, one more time, for I am, 
ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? I'm willing to give it all up. Paul's heart was crushed together with these, um, these disciples, but the Bible helps us to know that he was ready. He says, I am ready. What's the idea? I am, I am fully prepared. I am fully prepared to meet whatever's going to come up in front of me. In fact, the idea of this word is the idea of to be armed. Okay? So if an, uh, it, it, we had the Air Force, uh, the, um, the air show uh, last week, right? And you see some of those planes that in wartime they would be armed, all right? They're ready for battle, okay? Uh, the idea is to be armed, ready, and prepared for something. So uh, you get this, this picture in the mind. Paul's like, I am locked, loaded, and ready, not just to suffer there, but also to give up my life there. You talk about a man that was just all in, forward in fervency. That was Paul. He was all in. And so the believers could not persuade him not to do this. And, and what did they all come to this, this very restful statement, the will of the Lord be done. Now, we all share different perspectives. And ultimately, you are responsible in between your life and before your father to do his will, what he's laying on your heart. You're responsible for your decisions. We believe in individual soul liberty as, as Baptists. You're responsible for your decisions. But you know there's times where even some believers may not fully see eye to eye about what the Lord is leading you to do. And what should be the response on all sides? The will of the Lord be done. You know God is bigger than your perspective. And God, your perspective might not be God's perspective and your perspective might not be someone else's, but it's a restful thing to be able to say in total harmony with one another, the will of the Lord be done. Let's, let's practice that. Let's say that out loud together. The will of the Lord be done. One more time. The will of the Lord be done. You know what? God is big enough to take care of one another. And even when you don't see it in another believer's way, the will of the Lord be, uh, be done. And so here it is. They're, they're resting in the Lord. He travels about 65 miles down to Jerusalem. He's likely carrying an offering for the believers that are going through the famine down there. And so it was a big deal for Paul to um, carry this offering from the churches over in Corinth and other places, Macedonia. They were bringing down this offering to signify this, that there is great unity in the Lord Jesus Christ between the Jews and the Gentiles. So it was an important meeting for Paul to get down there. He had much that he wanted to accomplish down there, bring this um, by time of Pentecost. He wanted to do that for them. And so he's bringing down this offering. And, and all the while, there's just a sense of readiness in the Apostle Paul. I am ready to both suffer and to give up my life, to sacrifice my life. I'm not looking at the personal cost of this. I'm ready to go forward. If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. There's times where God calls us away from everything to him, and we must follow, like Paul, forward fervently. I'm ready. I'm locked, loaded, armed. I'm ready. Paul totally gave his life to the Lord. Totally. There was no reserves. There was no self-preservation. We find him testifying in Philippians 1 and verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember that being Charles Wesco's life verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Brother Sam and I traveled up to Corona, Michigan, not to be confused with the coronavirus, but Corona, Michigan, and uh, it's not spelled the same. But Emmanuel Baptist Church up there and the home church of Brother Rick Rust went up there on uh, Thursday afternoon and it could not make the funeral but could make the viewing uh, that night and just felt like it really needed to attend that. And uh, we stood around, talked with Tammy, his wife, met his three children. I had not met, but all three of them uh, with hearts for the Lord and just a real sweet, sweet family. Some of them are here in the Ohio areas, um, but uh, just a, a sweet family and conversated with them. This is from back in 2000, early 2019, as I remember it, when he came and preached a church planning discovery Sunday for us, and uh, we went over to Rapid Fire Pizza afterwards, and we had met him, I'd met him earlier in, I believe, 2018, and just struck up a friendship and really his heart for church planning and, and what God wanted him to do. And uh, soon after this, the whole vision of uh, Great Lakes 3030, by the way, if you want to go up with me to the summit, the Great Lakes 30 summit, church planning summit, it's September the 20th, that's a Tuesday. I'll be attending that on this year again. I'd love to have some people um, with me uh, on that day. Last, last year, many of our deacons went, and boy, that was just grand. And if you want to go again, let's, uh, let's build the group and let's go with more. But uh, God is doing some things. There's going to be two churches uh, announced even at that, at that meeting that are going to be planned, and there's other plan um, plannings that are going on. But I was up there, and, and his pastor is Pastor Jason Georges, and uh, he's, a, he's a, uh, just a man that's on fire for the Lord and, and really has the same burden for church planning and, and is driving this, but now it must go on in, in the loss of Brother Rust. And as we were there talking for a little while about the future of church planning, and, and, and he, he just commented, he said, Brother Rust would be tickled to know that this conversation is happening in view of his body. Just would really be tickled, because he, just, he, he lived the Lord. Uh, one pastor friend of mine who did not know him says, it, it's obvious that Brother Rust knew how to live and showed people how to live, but he also showed people how to die. And uh, his post last week that he wrote on Facebook, saying, I'm going to be dying soon, and here's my heart for you. He uh, got the interns together from Emmanuel Baptist Church and challenged them just days before he died. But uh, Brother, Brother George has said, the last time I went in to see him, we had this thing that we would just do all the time. He says, we had this thing that we'd do. Uh, I would say, for me to live is Christ, and Brother Rick would say, and to die is gain. He said, the last time that I went in to see him, uh, he said, uh, I said, Brother Rick, goes, for me to live is Christ. And Brother Rick's final words to his pastor was, is gain. It's all he could get out, is gain. To his knowledge, he had one more, one more interaction with his wife where he told her that he loved her, and he was very, like Jacob, very, very, resolute about speaking to each one of his children and challenging people before he died, before um, he just kind of fell back into just the, the unconsciousness, uh, was very resolute about doing that, but his very last words is gain. I don't know that I've quite observed somebody uh, going through that and how they handled that, but it's striking to me it's not something I'll soon forget. And I look at a Paul, and I look at a brother Rick Rust, and I think about a Charles Wesco whose lives were all about Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, whatever your purpose is, I'm willing to do it. And friends, I can't help but just challenge us again on this day. There is nothing worth living for in this world but Jesus Christ. There's nothing. I mean, you might be trying to live for your job. Some people even live, their whole life is focused around their family rather than like those believers there at Tyre grabbing their family and wives and children and going to the seashore and engaging in that. Their whole, their whole life is revolving around their family. And God wants us to lead our families, but he wants us to lead our families to God. You lead your family to the sports places more than you lead them to the house of God, you've got a problem. For me to live is Christ. Do you know right now, can you answer right now, what is God's purpose for my life? Have you discovered that, and are you seeking after that? The best way to know God's purpose for your life is to obey him right now. You're not going to be able to know God's future will until you obey his present will right now. And if you're saying no and stiff-arming God to his present will right now, friends, you'll never know what God's purpose is for your life. Like Brother Tom said, it, it is a total brokenness, right, brother? Just a total whatever. I throw it up. I'm done. I'm done wrestling. I'm done, I'm done trying to connive, to manipulate my life, to get it to be what I want it to be. I'm just giving it all to you. And so my, my real question and, and real point in this, Paul went forward fervently saying, Lord, it's all yours. I don't care if I die. I don't care if I have to give up everything. I, I'm not preserving self anymore. It's all about you. And, and it isn't any wonder that Paul challenged the Roman believers, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. And I call you to do the same. Is there, has there been a time in your life where you've said, Lord, it's all yours. I'm done driving. I'm, I'm stepping out of the car. I'm putting you in the driver's seat. I'm getting in the, in the passenger seat. And from now on, it's Christ's will. I'm not going to preserve self. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm not going to avert danger. I'm not going to avert your will. I, it is all you. It's all about you. I'm giving my life a living sacrifice. I will live now towards you, and I will die for you. I will do anything that you need me to do. It was David Brainerd that said this, if I had a thousand lives, my soul should gladly have laid them all down at once to have been with Christ. His whole heart was Christ. He died at the age of 29, as I remember, as he was giving his life to, um, to bring the gospel to the American Indians. And he gave his life, and his life was very short. Many have said that his life was more impactful, uh, his death was more impactful than even his life because of what he laid down just the passion that he had, everything for God. Are you going forward fervently? Are you pressing toward the mark? Have you given your life completely to the Lord? Do you know your purpose? Friends, I can guarantee you this. If you will surrender, I remember 17, when I surrendered, Lord, I'm, I, I'm going to stop pushing my own agenda. I will, I will go your way. I surrender. I remember what the Lord did in that moment. He said, and you will be a pastor someday not audibly, but it was something that impressed on my heart so, so distinctly that it was something that I could set my, um, my eyes on. And the Lord had to bring me through many more lessons before allowing that. But the fact is, there was a surrender, and then there was, okay, this is what the Lord has. Now, I don't want to know what the Lord has all the way down the line, but it's going to be continual steps of surrender all the way along that flow from a point, I surrender all.
have you come to that point? You say, well, I'm not looking to be a pastor or looking to be a, you know, a pastor's wife or, you know, I'm not looking to, to serve the Lord on that level. Have you surrendered all? Paul wrote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, brethren, ye, sisters, ye, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's for you. That's for you. Have you given that to him? And would you be willing even this morning to say, I surrender all. I surrender all. And to make that known to one another? Let's stand with an attitude of prayer this morning. Can't look at Paul's life without realizing he's moving forward fervently in total abandon of his dreams, desires, ambitions, totally surrendered to the Lord. Are you? Are you surrendered to the Lord? Have you given your life a living sacrifice? How many would say this morning, Pastor, I have, I have 100% given my life to the Lord for his purposes. I, am, I have surrendered everything to him. I will do anything he asks me to do. I will go anywhere he asks me to go. I am surrendered to the Lord. I know that. There's been a time in my life where I, like Paul said, Romans 12, 1, I have given everything to the Lord. I'm, I've given my life as a living sacrifice to him. You say, I have that assurance. I, I, that is my testimony. Would you raise your hand in testimony to the Lord? I have given 100% to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Many hands. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And friends, I want to invite you who just raised your hand to just reaffirm that. Ask the Lord to help you to continue to take those steps of surrender. Praising the Lord for the work that he's done in your heart. And I want to ask those that could not raise their hand, would you find a place here at this altar, there at your seat, to kneel in just a moment after I pray and to give your life to the Lord? Is, any, is God working in any heart in that way? You say, God is working my heart about surrendering completely to the Lord. Would you raise your hand to the Lord? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.